0: Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Season 8 of Game of Thrones begins this Sunday, which means binge-mode Game of Thrones makes its long-awaited return, with your resident experts Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion guiding you through each episode. And to get your fix every Sunday night, Chris Ryan joins Mallory and Jason on Talk the Thrones, a Twitter after-show recapping each episode throughout the season. So make sure you check out the Binge Mode podcast on Apple or Spotify, Talk the Thrones on Twitter, and for even more Thrones coverage, you can head to theringer.com.
1: Finally, it's the NBA playoffs. Go check out the ringer.com for everything you need to prepare for the postseason, which starts on Saturday afternoon. We have NBA Desktop. It's back from its hiatus uh, with Jason Cetepsion talking about Magic Johnson's departure and previewing the NBA playoffs with Zach Cram on the postseason and so much other content from Dan Vine, Jonathan Charks, and everybody else on our website. One note today's podcast we had an audio issue um so the first 30 minutes of the podcast my voice will be from over the phone but the f- end of the podcast is normal pristine quality but just wanted to note that before we get going welcome to the ringer nba show this is the corner three my name's kevin o'connor and live from ringer studios in los angeles ringer associate editor Danny chow it's lonely without you buddy Yeah, no, i'm missing you man i'm home in boston right now but hopefully back soon but also like usual on the line of dallas we have ringer staff writer jonathan sharks
0: what's up guys i'm already preparing for our steak dinner so me and kevin o'connor we won the nba ringer wins pool which means we're about to get some expensive steaks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, Bill did mention on the windspool that we would be going to this place called Spaca, which has four
0: money signs on Google. So definitely be dropping some expensive steaks. Yeah, how much can you pay for a bottle of wine at a place like that, right? Let's get, let's get real. <laughs> <laughs> we
1: do have to celebrate exciting season. But finally, it's playoff time. I've been looking forward to this for way too long now. Uh, We're recording this at 12.12 Eastern time on Friday. So you'll be able to hear this ahead of all the games starting tomorrow on Saturday. And today we're going to be previewing the postseason and not talking about the draft at all. We'll save that for next Wednesday. As normal, we have heat check on Monday, the mismatch on Tuesday. The corner three will instead be on Wednesdays. And then group chat will be recording on Thursday nights.
0: The people need more KOC.
1: Back-to-back. I'm looking forward to that. That'll be fun. Uh, Anyway, guys, so let's go through all these matchups, starting with the most intriguing series to the least intriguing series. And we'll pick the series in this order. Danny, Jonathan, and then me. So, Danny, you're up. Let's get going.
2: Yeah, I'm really fascinated by this Rockets Jazz series. You know, we have the two hottest teams in the league entering... Playoffs, two of the hottest teams at least. Uh, the Rockets are twenty and five in their past twenty five games. The Jazz were eighteen and seven. Yeah, I, I feel like this rematch of last year's second round series is kind of a, a put up or shut up time with Rudy Gobert. You know, you you watch him and you're like, oh, okay, so when is he ever going to change who he is as a player? Do you want him to? And how how do you think he will fare this time around?
1: I think Gobert, to be fair to him, Danny, has gotten a little bit better at stepping out on perimeter. He's a very deserving Defensive Player of the Year candidate this year. He may very well win the award if it's not Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, With with, with Utah this year, I think it's largely going to come down to how does that perimeter defense operate against James Harden and Chris Paul? Because if you remember in last year's postseason between Utah and Houston, it was Chris Paul that really gave. The Jazz defense, such trouble. He averaged 24.6 points with 6.2 assists, including 41 points in that serious clinching game five victory. Oh, just iconic, yeah. So this year, they're they're without Dante Exum, your favorite player, Uh, (laughs) Royce O'Neal is going to be the guy primarily defending James Harden. Uh, I I do wonder if they have enough bodies for both Harden and for Chris Paul, Um, if it's more so maybe the perimeter uh, and less so maybe Rudy Gobert.
0: I want to give Danny credit for not picking t- uh, Toronto or Leo number one. I know you wanted to do it. Thank <laughs> like you were showing some restraint. And I, I like Utah. I love Joe Ingles. But man, I cannot say I'm terribly fascinated by this series. I, I just don't see it. I just don't see the way Houston's playing right now. Their style versus Utah is a bigger versus smaller team. It fits me watch this series like eight times in the last three years. And it always ends the same way, right? With the spread pick and roll team being the bigger team.
1: How can it be different this year, though? Is there something that Utah can do? Because I'm fascinated by the idea of teams replicating what Milwaukee did against James Harden, where they had Eric Bledsoe and George Hill, among other defenders, just shading Harden on the left side, constantly forcing him to his right, which took away some of his off-the-dribble left-handed passes. It made it harder for him to effectively get to his left hand at the rim. It took away the the step-back jumper to his left as well. And I I wonder, will teams do... What Milwaukee did, because I think Utah at least has the, the guys who can do it against him. Uh, Chris Paul is different, a different type of player. But against Harden specifically, I don't see any reason not to shade him to the left with Royce O'Neal and funnel him towards Rudy Gobert.
0: I think for sure they'll try it, and we'll see. The Harden has the counter this year. He has that floater he's had to his game. And I think that could, have, that could have huge dividends only in this series but going forward. That's something really to watch in this series is that, that little game within the game. Right. So how can they? How can they make it interesting, though? Recently,
2: they've been uh putting. I, I think they've been having Derek Favors rest for the past what like five games. I think he he played a game in Denver, I believe. Uh, but in those games where he's been out, I think the Jazz have kind of been fine tuning certain lineups where you can play kind of a four out system with Gobert uh Manning the the middle. They've either been starting Jay Crowder or Cephalosha at the four. And some of their most effective lineups are those types of lineups where you have um, Donovan Mitchell, Royce O'Neal, Joe Ingles, Jay Crowder, and Gobert all on the floor at the same time. And I wonder if Quinn Snyder is just kind of making sure he has enough reps with these smaller, more perimeter-oriented lineups uh, to test for the Rockets.
0: I could see that, and then I could see Houston going the next step and playing those PJ at the five lineups. That's what I really want to see in this series because I think for Houston, it's all about Golden State next round. It's those PJ at the five minutes. It's there's other and there are other perimeter guys. So if Dan- Danny's favorite Daniel House, Austin Rivers, Amon Shumpert, these guys were not here last year. I think can those guys be a little more versatile on offense than your Ariza's, Mabamute's? and that could be a huge dividends not only here but going forward.
1: In terms of lineups, it seems like we're all in agreement for Utah that the best move is to bring Derek Favors off the bench, which is something they did do during the regular season. He came off the bench six times during the whole season. Three of those games were against the Rockets. Uh, Are we all in agreement for that for Utah, Like you said, Danny, it seems they have been preparing for that.
2: I think so. Favors has been very, very good this season. Uh, His rim protection numbers are amazing. And you wonder if you bring him off the bench, you play him in that second unit, if that might force the Rockets to stay big, stay playing a guy like Nene or Farid. animal,
1: Yeah. No, exactly. I think for Utah, it works both ways. Where it helps your starting lineup bringing him off the bench, but also it could force Houston to stay big, or it makes it a more challenging, uh, a more challenging decision for Houston to decide to go small, as you suggested, Sharks. But either way, you know, regardless of what Houston, what Utah is doing on the offensive end of the floor, I'm concerned about whether the Jazz can generate enough points against this Rockets defense. But there's, there's one positive indicator looking at their regular season games this this year. The Jazz attempted 76% of their shots either at the rim or from three against Houston. And that's a really strong shot distribution, especially against Houston, which is usually pretty good um, at forcing sh- uh, teams into shooting mid-range jumpers. The problem is, it's in those games Utah shot only 32 percent on spot-up threes compared to 37 percent against all other teams, and only 19 percent on off-the-dribble threes compared to 33 percent against all other teams. So I am wondering, John, do does Utah have enough weapons on the offensive end of the floor to to continue generating those open shots, but actually making them?
0: It's all about Donovan Mitchell. I mean, I remember it's it's all going to come down to him. I think going to interesting thing to watch. So Houston's been starting Paul, Harden, Gordon can Mitchell attack those guys enough to force him to play some of their other perimeter guys as starters. And he had that one game in last year's playoffs that he had like eight or nine assists. Like he has to have to play that kind of all around game. He has to kind of be a superstar at the night. a chance to win the series.
1: That was the game where a lot of people who, you know, just watched under Mitchell occasionally were like, Oh, wait a minute. He can pass. He can pass. <laughs> you know, and I think, you know, he's not a, Pass first player by any means. He's a score first point guard through and through, and he and he always will be. But when he does want to turn that on, I I think he has displayed the ability to be a playmaker going back to his time at Louisville. It's just not his primary uh, strength, right. um, but, but he, he is going to have to ter- activate that, Danny. Yeah,
2: I feel like it's also complementary to the games that you know Joe Ingles loves to play. You know, he is kind of a pass first type of player, uh, and so they. Even though there is no basically traditional point guard in that starting lineup, uh, you know, unless Ricky Rubio comes back and, and assumes that role, um, I think the Jazz starting lineup at least can match up pretty well with the Rockets. It, it's more a matter of once, yeah, once the Rockets make those adjustments, how did the Jazz
0: respond? Could the Jazz go even smaller? You know, I'm going to go there. But like, <laughs> instead of playing favors behind Gobert, maybe just go like Thabo or Royce at the five with Tucker. and Just go crazy. Let's see some adjustments. The Jazz in the last two years, one and nine against Golden State and Houston in the second round. Like, Quinn Snyder, don't be… Make some moves, man. Try different things. Okay,
2: so so we're saying Thabo, Jay, Royce O'Neal, Ingles, and
0: uh, Mitchell. Mitchell? Yeah, if they're playing Tucker at the five, why not?
1: You're wild, sharks, But but <laughs> to your point, though, you do have to try something here because what you've been doing has not been working against them. Uh, I, I think for Houston, they've changed some things since last year. I'm not sure if, if it's advantageous to Utah or not. Uh, Houston does not switch as often as they did in last year's postseason where they switched virtually everything. Now they're, they you know, it's more of a hybrid scheme where you're, they'll switch P.J. Tucker with certain matchups, but they always try to k- keep Clint Capella in the paint for at least for as much as possible um in in this year's matchup i do wonder if maybe there's ways utah can try to get houston to switch more to get capella out of the paint and opening up those driving lanes for kickout passes and layups do you have anything else in the series danny they're your number one
2: i think why i'm so fascinated by this is just i want to see the jazz evolve I want to see the next step of Donovan Mitchell. I want to see the next step of Gobert stepping out in the perimeter and showing he can, he can defend out in space. Uh, but ultimately, I, I think the Rockets have this.
1: What's your prediction for games? How deep does it go? Rockets in five. How about you, John?
0: Yeah, that's why I was surprised Danny has number one, honestly. Rockets in five.
1: I'm Rockets in six.
0: Let's move on. John, you're next. Blazers Thunder, man. This to me is the series of the first round. I'm excited. There's so much on the line for both these teams. You got Russ and Dame one-on-one. Russ has been quote-unquote busting that ass for years. Let's go, (laughs) man. I'm really excited for this one. So what did that to me like looking at the big picture? So Portland has lost 10 straight playoff games going back to 2000. They got swept by the Warriors, swept by the Pelicans. I think the lot lost the last two against the Warriors three years ago. And then Russ has won three playoff games without Kevin Durant. Both these guys are great players, superstars, prime of their career, a lot to prove. Let's go. I like the numbers. They've actually guarded each other the most of any player in the entire league this season in terms of number of defensive matchups on the other guy. And I look, and I wouldn't look at uh, NBA.com. Russ had the real edge on the one-on-one matchup, and OKC's 4-0, I don't think. Of course, the other thing, too, is Paul George. He absolutely killed Portland this year. So Paul George against Portland, 38 points, 10.5 rebounds, 5.5 assists. On forty-six percent shooting, and the big question focusing now is he healthy because he's really tailed off in the last month of the season with the shoulder injury.
1: Yeah, we, we've talked about his his falling numbers quite a bit on on a couple of our shows here. You know, he's not shooting the ball quite as well from a three. His defense has not been at the same exact level as it was before, and he's even talked openly about some of the shoulder issue uh, pain that he's had during games and how he's had to manage that. That that's a, that's a big question moving forward for Oklahoma City, and and that's why I'm wondering. With this team, Danny, it is OK to see closer to the team that was led by that MVP candidate and Paul George and an elite defense, or are they closer to the sputtering team that we've seen as of late?
2: Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm worrying about. I need to see Paul George you know, in tip-top shape to have much confidence in them as a Western Conference Finals contender. I just have that very stinging memory of his last game against Utah last Ooh. year in the first round, just ringing in my head. And I'm just like, I can't get over that. Uh, so I, I need to see. Well, also, because last year when he started the playoffs, he he looked amazing. It just petered off even during that one round.
1: Yeah, I mean, with, with the team transitioning into the postseason here, I'm, I was thinking about this matchup specifically while reading Zach Cram's spectacular piece today on The Ringer about how recent regular season results have no correlation or very small correlation with the results in the postseason. Um, so for Oklahoma City, it's not as much the, the mm-hmm. results that matter as, as entering the postseason as much as the health of some of these guys, right. particularly Paul George. And the same is also true for Portland as well. Uh, right now, I, I'm I'm feeling, I'm, I'm more disappointed, I'm more angry than I ever was before that Yusef Nurkic got hurt. Because what a brawl it would have been. It's cool that we're going to get Ennis Cantor versus Steve Adams. Like, that's cool. That's great. Is it though? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like not because Cantor can't defend anybody.
0: If you remember Cantor, uh, this is a series, what, two years ago, last time he was in the playoffs, that was the famous can't play Cantor when he was in Oklahoma City.
1: Exactly. So like, if you can't play Cantor, Myers Leonard isn't really going to be much of an upgrade at all if he's even an upgrade one bit over Cantor. And then if you do go to Zach Collins, look, like, we all like
0: Zach Collins on this podcast. <laughs> I know, I know you love him, Sharks. It was only a matter of time for got to Collins Hive. Only a matter of time.
1: A- Adam, but for now, though, Adams would toss Zach Collins around like a ragdoll, and I'm not finding any answers for Portland at the center position. And I'm, uh, I'm feeling like Portland's only real hope here is to pray that Russell Westbrook shoots the thunder out of the series. So. Sharks, can you give me any hope for Portland?
0: Well, I think the other thing too is against OKC's bench, OKC really only trusts like five or six players. And really, they've been counting on Paul George to carry their second unit and their first unit all season. Like, he has to play like 40, 45 minutes a game in one of these big games. And Portland's got a nice, solid eight, nine-man rotation. If you can attack Nerland's Noel, um, Who's even on their bench? I mean, it's Raymond Felton's playing a lot right now. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Seriously. I, I have my mind's blanking. Who's our backup wing in Oklahoma city?
1: They have uh, I, I, Markeith Morris. They have Dennis Schroeder. Yeah. I'm saying a backup wing though. Abdul don- Nader.
0: Yeah, Abdul Nader. Yeah. Portland's best chance in the series is to win those minutes. When those Schroeder non Paul George minutes are just really, that's the, t- that's the time they have a much deeper team. With Rodney hood. Compared to the guys who just listed in Oklahoma city. <laughs> I don't know, man. Roddy, Roddy Hood, Seth Curry,
1: Jake Layman. You know who the be- the Blazers bench does have now? They have Anthony Simons. Oh no, Anthony Simons. Who? And this is a stat from Reddit. Three teenagers in NBA history have posted thirty seven or more points with nine or more assists: LeBron James, Kevin Durant, and Anthony Simons. Nice. Is he on the? Is he
2: on the playoff roster? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> he, he should he should be after game eighty two, baby. He absolutely should be.
0: I mean, yeah, they got they got Curry. I have a good way. They have Seth Curry, Jake Lehman, Rodney Hood off the bat. That's a pretty solid backup wings.
1: With Simons, the Blazers absolutely have a chance, but I'm going with OKC and five. I wow.
2: Uh I this is a tough one. I actually do believe in the Blazers bench. I'm gonna go Blazers in seven. Nice.
0: I'll split the middle. I'll go I'm gonna go OKC in and seven. Paul George comes through at the end.
1: Okay. I like it. I like it. So two for Thunder, one for Portland. Let's shift over to the Eastern Conference for a minute. Um, I'm going to go with the Sixers and the Nets. Uh, And this is probably not the most intriguing series on the surface, but I'm intrigued, especially because of Joel Embiid's health right now. He's dealing with a sore left knee that's kept him out of a lot of games since the All-Star break. And Brent Brown uh, and and Elton Brand were very vague about his availability this weekend, so we'll see about that. But whether Embiid's healthy or not, um, especially if he's not healthy, it's going to be fascinating to watch this series from a tactical perspective because Brooklyn's pick-and-roll offense is critical to their success. But also for Philadelphia, they have not had an elite pick-and-roll defense this season. So I, I do wonder, with DeAndre Russell and Spencer Didwitty, how will the Nets try to exploit defenders like J.J. Redick and T.J. McConnell? Will they seek out mismatches? How will they uh, operate against Philadelphia's typical drop defense where Embiid or the other pick-and-roll defender drops to the paint? Um, with D'Angelo Russell You know, having an effective mid-range game, he's been better at getting to the rim as well um, and also willing to pull it from three. I, I do wonder how that matchup will play out over the course of the series. So, Charks is... is is exploiting some of these mismatches or these weaker defenders um, on Philadelphia the key for the Nets to actually have a chance of winning the series?
0: I mean, if you think about it, right, if you want to build a team to beat Philadelphia, you'd probably have a team that runs a lot of pick and roll, spreads the floor really well, has a ton of size on the wings to attack them. Brooklyn has all those things. Like, just on paper, you know, matchups make fights. This could be, I think, could be a pretty good series just by the terms of the strength weakness of each team's roster. We talked about with OKC and their lack of wings. Philly has nothing on their bench right now. James Ennis, who Houston got rid of as soon as they possibly could, is their best wing off the bench. He doesn't play right. He's out.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, Mike Levin, frenemy of the podcast, of the Rice to Ricky Sanchez podcast, uh, has made multiple jokes on Twitter about how Zaire has no idea where he's supposed to be on offense, but will need to play like 40 minutes a game in each of these, in each of these games. Just because they have,
0: no, they have no wing depth at all. I think they'll go Jonathan Simmons. I, I guess because he has experience, playoff experience. Yeah, yeah. Two
2: years ago, he was a uh, he made his money off off the uh, OKC series.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, does Brooklyn actually have a chance though? I mean, like, or or is it like even even though it's Friday right now and the series starts tomorrow, is it still too early to tell without knowing Joel Embiid's availability? Because ultimately, he's by far the best player in the series, and he has just murdered Brooklyn this season. Um, just dominated them. I mean, I really, really like. Uh, Jared Allen. I really like Ed Davis, Um, but those guys cannot stop Joel Embiid.
0: Yeah, we have the numbers here. It's 30, 14, and 5 on 60% shooting in those games. And and like specifically
1: in those matchups, the Sixers scored 1.2 points per possession on possessions that Davis defended Embiid. 1.3 points per possession when Allen was on Embiid. And then intriguingly, they scored only 0.9 points per possession when Rondé Hollis-Jefferson was Joel Embiid. Oh, hey, small ball. Embiid killed R H J individually. He was shot five of seven against him. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure that's sustainable for Brooklyn if they do go small. But Jared Allen, like as much as I like him, nice player, nice kid, nice <laughs> hair. He just doesn't have a chance against Embiid. He does not. So I, maybe you do have to go small, John. Maybe this is the series one other thing on this series uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be interested to watch how Kenny Atkinson coaches. Cause he, he's a guy who's not afraid to get weird. You know, he used the box box and one defense earlier this season against Kemba Walker. He's used the zone more than any other playoff team. Uh, only the Miami heat used zone more than Brooklyn over the full regular season. They're, the nets are a team that is not afraid to change stylistically game to game. And you know, if Embiid is out, there's a real window here for Brooklyn to win the series. They're not going to win if Embiid's healthy um, and effective. Uh, but I think in terms of laying a blueprint or, or confirming what we may feel is effective in, in, in stopping Philadelphia, I'm intrigued by what Brooklyn will be able to show or try or experiment with uh, in this first round series, which might be something for teams to follow moving forward.
0: I think you make Embiid a passer if he's in. Like, I honestly can get like eight, nine assists in the game. I'm doubling him every time. Make Simmons shoot. Make Butler shoot. Make Embiid make decisions.
1: Maybe that's the move. Helping off of Ben Simmons, trying to turn him into a cutter, turning Embiid into a passer. Because um, they're going to post Embiid a lot, for sure. What's your prediction, you guys?
0: Hmm. Sixers and six? I was really thinking, ah, sixers and seven. I-, I can't do it. Really? Wow, I'm sixers and five, and I'm the one who picked it. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, that depends on Embiid.
1: But yeah, I'm going six some five. It'll be a very competitive series. some very competitive five games.
0: Danny, you're next.
2: What uh, do we got? We got the NBA TV series. We got the Nuggets <laughs> wow, very, and Spurs. Very
0: appropriate for you to pick that. Very appropriate.
2: <laughs> so yeah, so, this, so the Nuggets and Spurs have been relegated to the NBA TV uh, landscape, the wilderness out there, uh, mainly because I feel like the Nuggets have to earn it. They, they haven't made the playoffs in like five years. You know, they're they're the number two seed, but we don't know anything about them come, you know, the the crucible of postseason basketball. And yeah, so neither team can really win on the road. They both have terrible road records. Um, But I wonder if that's enough of an advantage on Denver's side to kind of cancel out the fact that Pop probably knows exactly how he wants to play this series.
1: People seem skeptical of the Nuggets, Danny, despite the fact they have the number seven offense, despite the fact they have the number 10 defense, MVP candidate, and Nikola Jokic, a deep roster. They won 54 games, which is not easy to do in the Loaded West. So if you're, if a fan hasn't watched Denver all year and they're hearing those stats, they're probably wondering why people are skeptical. So,
0: all right, Kevin, I got to say, people are skeptical because they haven't watched Denver all year, as you just said. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Still, people who have watched Denver all year are skeptical heading into the postseason. Why?
2: I think it's just a matter of Jokic being the unique player he is. He's not a guy we've typically... in. Env- He's not a guy we typically envision dominating in a postseason series. You know, he just doesn't have the athletic uh, advantages that most players have, most stars have. And when you're looking at that team, it's built around him being able to get you know, his passes off to shooters. The problem with that is the nuggets have been really bad shooting three over the past ten games or so. they've closed They've closed the year out pretty, pretty roughly, and they have a bunch of streaky shooters, and the Spurs under pop over the past twenty years have been very much, you know a team that can they've been a team that can exploit teams that can't shoot. that's That's just what they do.
0: Yeah, it feels like Denver has kind of skipped a step, like normally in this progression of these things you make the playoffs as a low seed your first time, you lose, you get experience, you come back and you're okay. But Denver's skipped that whole year because they missed the playoffs last year. And now it's like, oh, no one trusts them because they have no playoff experience. How will Jokic do on defense? How will Jamal Murray do? Like, do they have weaknesses that can be exploited in a seven-game series? We haven't seen any of them play in a seven-game series, really, since Paul Millsap.
2: Yeah, Will Barton is the only other guy who has, like, and he only has one season of playoff experience, and that was, again, five years and ago. He was, he
0: was a bench guy, too, I think. Yeah. Like then. I was going to say, the Nuggets
1: played this absolutely perfectly to close of the year to get, by far, the best matchup for them. Uh, losing the games that they did uh, against Portland and against Utah and then beating Minnesota with that comeback uh, in the final minutes got them, I think, by far the best really? series for themselves. So I think, more, like I mean, Clippers? well, I mean, besides the Clippers. Um, but like of the possibilities heading into the final couple of days, I think San Antonio by far the best matchup for them. Like you mentioned, Nikola Jokic as, as the unique player that he is, I would not want Nikola Jokic in a matchup against a heavy pick and roll uh, player. Um, I'd be I'd be happy with this matchup um, for Denver compared to going against a Russell Westbrook. Um, and also, you're avoiding Houston in that second round as well. Um, I'd much rather have this side of the bracket that they're on, where that second round matchup is either going to be. Portland or, or Thunder instead of potentially facing Houston uh, in the second round. I, I think I think Denver played this pretty well for themselves in both first, uh, the first
0: and second round, where they could they have a path. Well, everyone on this side of the bracket does for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Charks, you noted uh, before we started this podcast who guards Lamarcus Aldridge for Nicole uh, for the Denver Nuggets. Who do you think it should be for Denver?
0: That's tough because I feel like he kind of has an edge on Jokic and on Millsap. I think he shot like 54% from the field against Portland, against Denver this year. So I'm not sure how that's going to play out. I mean, maybe Mason Plumlee is their best guy because he gives them the best combination of size, length, and speed on uh, LaMarcus. I think DeRozan, too, could have a big series. He's got the size on Gary Harris, who's really their best perimeter defender. I guess they'll have Torrey Craig on him, too. But this feels like it could be a long series if they can't control LaMarcus and DeRozan.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what San Antonio does with that front court because, you know, in their last two matchups when Millsap was healthy for both those games between Denver and San Antonio, Jokic spent 62 possessions on Aldridge and 41 against Pirtle. Um, And Millsap had 38 against Aldridge and 39 against Rudy Gay in lineups where Aldridge was the only true big on the floor. Maybe that's something San Antonio goes to more often, even though at least statistically the Aldridge-Pirtle front court performed well during the regular season. Maybe they'll go a little bit more with Aldridge at the five to, to try to space out Jokic switches, perhaps, um, or even just bringing Millsap away from his roaming role um, near the paint. That'll, that'll be something to monitor.
0: The other thing, too, to watch is uh, Derek White on Jamal Murray. Derek White, I think, is kind of the X factor for uh, San Antonio. He's really the guy who gives him the best combination of size and shooting on the perimeter. And am to have a big series of to win.
1: All right, cool. So what are our predictions for this
0: game? Danny, you go first. Uh, nuggets and six. John? I'm going to go for uh, some drama. Nuggets and seven. I'm Nuggets and six as well, Danny. Uh, next up, John, who do we have? Uh, we got your boys, KOC, Celtics, Pacers. I'm surprised a little higher, actually. Um, I guess the big <laughs> question is Marcus Smart. So what happens? So he, he got hurt with the last game of the season. Who placed in the starting lineup? And how much of a loss is that?
1: Well, I mean, I love Marcus Smart, and I think he's a All NBA defender. I think he should be on the one of the all two, one of the two All Defensive teams. But Boston still has plenty of bodies. They still have plenty of guys that they can throw out there and be effective defenders, especially in this first round series. You know, you can put Jalen Brown in the starting lineup. Still have Tatum, Marcus Morris, Terry Rozier. Uh, Shemi Ojale can play if, if he has to. There's plenty of bodies on Boston's roster to overcome the loss of Marcus Smart. And didn't mention Gordon Hayward as well, um, who is obviously not near the same level of a defender as Marcus Smart, but he has gotten a lot better over the course of the season on the offensive and of the floor. So I think that gain um, will help out Boston out. And look, Indiana they they are a great story you know the way they performed after the Victor Oladipo injury uh, but they have really lost some of that luster that they had uh, immediately following that i i don't I don't see Indian having much of a chance in this first round series
0: so you want to tell us about Gordon Hayward KOC see back are we buying this this time Is this latest yeah. resurgence for real? I'm I'm buying it for sure. This is the longest it continue you know
1: run of success for him all season long. He had little spurts before. Um, I, I thought Danny Ainge had an interesting quote that I saw tweeted out a couple couple minutes before we actually recorded this and. And he, he said uh, to, I think, NBC Sports Boston that he looked at Gordon Hayward as a as a first-round draft pick entering the season where where he knew the Celtics were getting a good player, but because he was, you know, like a rookie, he's not going to be an impactful player early in the year, um, but he'll improve over the course of time and then be somebody who can contribute. And that's sort of what's happened with Hayward this season, where it's been incredibly frustrating watching him play. Um, but the last. 20-ish games or so the last month and a half. I think he's looked not exactly like how he was in Utah because he's doing it against bench units. Um, he's not uh, playing with as much volume on the offensive end, but his production has been really, really good. He's shooting the ball better and getting to the line more frequently as well at a rate comparable to his career in Utah. So I, I'm i totally buying. Are you buying Gordon Hayward as well, Danny? One thing,
2: I, I know we had mentioned that you know, we, we mentioned the Zach Cram piece about momentum. Uh, but I just want to point out that Gordon Hayward, in their last meeting against the Pacers, went perfect from the field and perfect from the line. 21 points on 9 of 9 shooting. 3 of 3 from the free throw line. If he gets that up,
0: you know, the, the Celtics are sweeping this. Do you think he stays off the bench, keep him in his role, or move him back to the last starting lineup? I think he starts with, with smart out. I wonder, just because in terms of having the ball in his hands more on that second unit, if it makes more sense to kind of stagger that.
2: Oh, wait. But they, they have the option of, of going with Jalen Brown too, right? With starting? Yeah.
1: Has he, looked, has he looked okay Uh, coming back from back spasms? To be determined with Jalen Brown. Um, but in, in his last game, he did play against Washington. He he did look fine and from what I saw in that game. Yeah. Uh, I, I think one of the issues for Nian in this series is that Miles Turner... Not quite a, a, an all-NBA defender or not not quite a defensive player of the year candidate, uh, but he's still an incredible defensive player. The problem is, is, you know, what he does with rim protection is not something Boston is gonna do. They're not a team that gets to the rim very often. So Miles Turner's best skill, I'm not sure, applies quite as much in this series um as it might in another against another team that does get to the rim. Boston just doesn't get to the rim anyway.
0: I guess it's interesting also, will they keep starting Aaron Baines? They've been going to those bigger lineups lately. Or will they move Horford back to the five and make Turner kind of get on the perimeter a little more? And then from Indiana's side, I think if they're going bigger, that's where you could see Thad Young have a big series. They're going, going against Baines or Horford. You can, obviously Bogdan Bogdanovich has been huge for them. I think they're going to need some bonus. But you know, as you go over these matchups, it doesn't seem as it doesn't seem as like it's going to be a tough, tough climb for them. And they got Darren Collison and Kyrie, too. It's just there's a lot of, there's a lot of spots where it's going to be tough for them. Yeah, there's a lot
1: that can go wrong for Indiana in this series. I, I think ultimately for for Boston, uh, they need they need to f- refine themselves that 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 ability just to chase down 50-50 balls, playing with second efforts. Uh, as much as they've been better to close the season overall, um, but that there's still something missing from them, and maybe against Indiana's grinded out style, um, constantly, you know trying on every single possession, maybe Boston is able to to find themselves in this matchup against Indiana. But without Marcus Smart, uh, who's really the heart of that defense, uh, uh, but, uh, next to Al Horford, I'm skeptical um, they'll be able to find that
0: moving forward. Well, I mean, the biggest thing is just playing Al Horford more minutes. So it's crazy. Like, in the last 15 games, when Horford is on the floor, they're plus 7.9. And the next rotation player is Tatum at plus 1.9. Like, he's been the key for them all season. It's Al Horford time, folks.
1: Yeah, Al Horford is going to be somebody who has to play more. Uh, you know, last year in the postseason, he averaged thirty six minutes. Um, he's not fully healthy right now, um, but maybe they've been conserving him a little bit for this postseason you have to run. Think so, yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. Uh, I- I'm, with this series, I'm going with uh, Celtics in five.
0: How about you guys? That feels about right to me. I'll go. I'll go Boston in five too.
2: I, th- I think Indiana has a little bit more fight in them. Uh Celtics and six.
1: <laughs> One more game. Yeah. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. Uh next up, uh, I'm gonna go with Bucks Pistons. Um I'm just gonna say this right up front. I'm going with Bucks and four here. Uh this is gonna be a massacre. <laughs> yeah, why is this number uh, six though? Uh well <laughs> the bu- the Bucks are gonna stomp their foot down this series. I'm intrigued, and here's why, because <laughs> This is the series that's going to really, really energize the talk about is Giannis Antetokounmpo, the new face of the NBA, while LeBron James is off, you know, preparing to record space jam Two. Giannis Antetokounmpo is going to just absolutely dominate this first round series. So I'm intrigued by it from that entertainment factor. Um, on the other side, I think for Blake Griffin, uh, this is not a farewell. He still has a lot of time left on his contract. Um, but the way this season ended, I, I, I think it, it, it'll be nice to see him get an opportunity of the uh, in the play in the postseason because he was unbelievable this year uh, for Detroit Pistons, extending his range, shooting off the dribble, shooting off the catch, operating as a playmaker. He's an all NBA talent, man. A- after a couple of years of not even making the all-star team. Um, it's just sad the way it's ended for Blake. I'm just looking forward to seeing him going out strong and, and you know, fighting for
0: some wins in the postseason. I don't know, Pistons. man. What's have, up with him? Like you, his knees are hurt or something. Yeah. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, have
2: you, have you seen him play in the past couple of games? Like he he's, it's been really rough. Uh, he it's, can barely, sad. it's sad. He can barely move out there. And if that's the case, then the, the Pistons really don't have much going for them. Like, all, all of the things that he can do, you know, he's extended his range. He takes as many threes as like Chris Middleton, basically, um, you know, as a guy who can handle them, pick a roll, everything. It all kind of depends on him being able to move. <laughs> so
1: and I'm not sure he can move. Yeah. And it's it's really, really depressing to watch. And, if you know, for Detroit moving forward, uh, Dwayne Casey had a really eerie quote. Uh, I think last week he mentioned how Blake playing can't make his
0: knee any worse. It's like, well, what, what does that mean? Yeah, I what think it just mean? it means what it means, KOC It's cooked. It's it's, it's basically yeah, pain scary.
2: management. Like he if he can play through the pain then he can play through it. Uh but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I hate when people say that cuz it's like things can always get worse.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Exactly. Well, that's, uh, that's a pleasant thought, Danny. <laughs> As always, <laughs> your uh, cheer and uh, optimism is. I'm I'm not
1: contagious. sure that they can get better for a 30 year old forward that's had of the, the amount of surgeries that he has and the amount of injuries that he has. It's I don't know. It, it's it's bittersweet because the year he had was was really remarkable. Uh, it sucks it ended this way, but but you know besides like you know the narrative aspect with Blake going out and Bucks probably sweeping the series. Is there anything that Detroit can do, John, in this series with their personnel that could be something that teams down the line could try to use or implement in their own
0: way against Milwaukee? Man. This is why I was wondering why you had him number six. <laughs> I guess they'll try Drummond on on Giannis, see how that works. Uh, Another big know. body. Yeah. Like Detroit's, a, they're a really a one-man team, and their one man is on his last knees. This is this is tough. I I'm wondering... Do you? I mean, you guys
2: remember last year when the Raptors were basically flailing against the the Cavs and, uh, and
0: playoff Thon? Yeah, K- Casey
2: no, Casey was just like throwing random lineups out there, and I'm wondering if if he just starts doing you know the crazy like a fox type you know lineups. <laughs> I don't know what those would be, but playoff Thon. I know, guess we, yeah. we
0: we've uh, we missed the missed the lead here. That's what's gonna happen.
2: <laughs> I mean, he did save the the Bucks last season kind of before they lost once to seven he had Some good
0: moments. Yeah, yeah. He had some good moments.
2: I mean, I guess they end up trying the zone, right?
1: Yeah. that That's what I'm curious about. Will, will they try something, you know, funky like that? Will they go zone, which they didn't do during the regular season. I looked on synergy. I, I think, I think they had seven or eight possessions of zone against the bucks all season long. Uh, unlikely they turned to that. Um, but it'll be something to watch for because uh, they have to try something, have to try something. Is this the most likely sweep? Are we all saying this is a sweep?
0: Yes. This okay. is why I'm asking why it's number six. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, because it's the best player, you know, uh, the most exciting player to watch is the MVP in Giannis Antetokounmpo. I'm just excited to watch that um, in the postseason. That's all. Bad reason, I know, but these last two matchups really aren't that spectacular. How, how dare you? To be, to how, be fair, I'm just saying, D- Danny, you're up next.
2: <laughs> Wait, what, one thing: would this be Giannis's first playoff series win? This would be his first yeah, playoff that's a big series deal. win. That's a big that's, deal.
1: Yeah, exactly. That, that's a much better reason than the one I gave,
2: Danny. <laughs> <laughs> you're
1: you're up next, Danny. Uh,
2: yeah, I, I gotta I gotta go with my Raptors, Raptors and Magic. Oh uh, yeah, they they the Raptors have finally escaped NBA TV hell. Uh, they deserve it. Uh, the Magic are now going to be grace gracing ESPN and NTNT, and it's going to be lovely. Shouts out to Kevin Clark. Um, I, I mean, I'm really just looking forward to two of my favorite players in the NBA right now: Jonathan Isaac, Pascal Siakam. Yes, it's 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 a true NBA nerd's
0: delight. Sharks, take it away. I mean, like Pascal Siakam's obviously had a great season this year. And I think all of us on Jonathan Isaac Hive, we want that to be him one day. We want him to be a seven foot Siakam with a great jump shot. Like it's going to be a really fun matchup to really long, really fast, pretty, pretty high IQ guys, very versatile defensively. Um, I love Isaac. The rest of Orlando is okay, I guess, but I'm going to watch that a lot.
1: <laughs> well, you know, this year Orlando was eighth in defense. Mm hmm. That That's one thing, one real positive indicator for them heading into the postseason. They're they're not going to beat Toronto, uh, but with that defense, is there any chance, Danny, that they make this a competitive series at all?
2: Sure. I, I mean, that's kind of what they were building towards, right? That's the reason why they have all of these long athletic guys who, you know, project to be good, at least solid defensive players, is because in the grind of a playoff series, having that length, having that margin for error is exactly what you need to to pull off the upset. And, and they've played the Raptors very, very well in the regular season.
0: Beat them twice. Yep. Yep. I got Aaron Gordon on Kawhi. It's Aaron Gordon's first playoff. Maybe he can have a big kind of breakout moment on this big stage. I don't know.
1: And I'm also looking forward to seeing Nikola Vucevic as well. Um, the, after the season that he had uh, playmaking uh, presence for Orlando, um, obviously a primary scorer for them as well. Against Marcus Ole, Serge Ibaka, uh, whether it's on Pascal Siakam on a switch against him, a number of different intriguing matchups for Vucevic um, against this Raptors front court. Ultimately, though, I'm, I'm going Raptors in four.
0: how do we forget Serge comes back to Orlando? There's the big story: <laughs> revenge, return of Ibaka.
1: <laughs> Ultimately, this this series, you know, despite past mistakes, um, including that one, um, it for Orlando this season has been a win, man. Like they had positive development. They made the postseason for the first time in a century uh, and we still haven't seen what Mo Bamba and Marco Fultz can do. So moving forward for Orlando, this season has been a win regardless of if this is a sweep or not.
2: Yeah, I guess one thing to note is OG Ananobi will not be playing in the series. Uh, Sean Strania uh, reported today that he underwent emergency appendectomy after being diagnosed with mm. acute appendicitis.
0: Tough year for a guy, man. Tough yeah, year. it's been rough. a
2: really tough year for him uh, after a really promising rookie season. You know, obviously, you're looking at him and you're looking at an extremely versatile defender. Um, but he he was just never really able to gain much of a rhythm this season, uh, for you know various reasons, injuries and off the court stuff. Um, you know, it's it's been rough.
0: I guess, too, there's also the Terrence Ross revenge game factor. Oh, man. Terrence Ross has been one of the best bench scorers in the league this season. I could see him went off like 30 points in a game against Toronto in his, old, in his old stomping grounds. That wouldn't stun me.
2: I mean, he's dropped 51 before, so that's not out of the realm of possibility.
0: <laughs> I mean, he's big. He can really shoot it. He can get his own shot, run around screens. I'm going to say he gets one game for Orlando. Terrence Ross Ooh. revenge game. Okay.
1: Raptors in five for you, John. How about you, Danny? Yeah, I have Raptors in five. Last game we have, last series we have Warriors, Clippers. John,
0: kick us off with this exciting series. Yeah, I mean, all I would think about is like, would Katie sign with the Clippers? Let's talk about what's really going on here. Like, is that a possibility, (laughs) you think? Like, would he go to LA? Yeah. I, I yeah, think so. I think you should at least consider it, right? You agree, Danny? I
2: think so. I What I'm imagining is, do you remember that series where it was the Nuggets versus the Warriors? Basically, the the series that kicked the Nuggets out of the playoffs for the past five years. Uh, yeah, yeah. And at the end, Iguodala talks with, who was it? Was it Curry or was it Kerr? And it was just like, okay, yeah, they made like a handshake deal that Iguodala was joining the Warriors. If that happens in this series, I'm going to lose my mind. With KD will, talking to, like, you know, Jerry West or something?
0: I will say my favorite story at the NBA, maybe the last five years, is that apparently the pitch meeting when Iggy went to Golden State, and they were like, all right, all right Andre, here's the plan. And he's like, no, 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 I got the plan. We're doing this. Here's the plan. It's <laughs> so like, this way, we're going to this, 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 and the other. Yeah, I mean, I wonder, like, can they make a run on Anthony Davis? Right? I think that's big from this series. Like, if if Shea goes Alexander as a big series... That makes the uh, Clippers' package for Anthony Davis look a lot more appealing. If they get him, and you're Kevin Durant, you go KD, Kyrie, and AD, and the the Clippers totally trump LeBron, take over the city. It's something.
1: Yeah, there there is a lot at stake here besides a series win for the Warriors, which is inevitable. I you know, sorry, but Clippers do not have a chance in the series. But what is at stake for the Clippers is showing to New Orleans. That these assets are going to translate to the postseason, especially Shea Gildas Alexander, who was terrific. And like you loved him going into the draft, John. Um, And he was I think he exceeded even probably your expectations this regular season. Um, But now in the postseason has an opportunity to to elevate that even more. Uh, Oh, yeah.
0: What do you you want to see from him? I got more SJ takes the best Canadian player of his generation. is happening. (laughs) I mean, I think he'll be guarding. So Gildas Alexander. He'll be guarding Kevin Durant, probably. So their starting lineup, they go Beverly, Shamit, SGA, Gallo, Zubach. So you're going to have to put SGA and KD, probably, realistically. So, I mean, just do your best, young man. You know, it's, it's going to be tough for you, but just keep getting better. I think, like, they could offer Gildas Alexander, Landry Shamit, which had a great year, and then Zubach is really good this year. That's three fringe starter players for a team like New Orleans, plus all those picks. There's a package that may, might make sense for them.
1: Absolutely. I, I think a lot of it will also depend on Boston in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, the all teams has the most assets they can offer unless a team like the Knicks were to put the number one pick on the table, which I don't think they would do. Um, but today at 330 Eastern, probably after after you hear this podcast, the the, the lot, the tiebreakers will be determined to figure out the seven, eight, nine slot between Memphis, Dallas, and New Orleans for what their draft lottery odds will look like, among other tiebreakers. Uh, what Boston can do with the picks that they'll have, um, moving within the draft or combining those picks and using them all in, in, a, in an offer to New Orleans. That's going to matter, you know, weighing that against what the LA Clippers, among other teams, can offer.
0: Okay, KFC, I got a question for you about that. If K- if Kyrie says I'm leaving for sure no matter what, is the AD trade still happening for Boston if he's gone? I I cannot imagine they would put Jason Tatum on the table.
1: I would imagine they would make a strong offer
0: still, but they would not put Tatum on the table. See, so that, that's how K D can really kind of move the pieces around. If he tells Kyrie this is happening, let's do it. He can pull LeBron this summer if he wants. K D could do anything. Really. Right. I, I still I still would bet on the Knicks. Um but ultimately, I,
1: I think for just to tie this back to the actual series here for Golden State, like, I think you can look at little things like how does, you know, DeMarcus Cousins translate to the postseason? You know, how will he be attacked and pick and roll? Is there anything that other teams can replicate later on? Um but ultimately, I, I'm not sure what the Clippers can do on the floor is going to apply very much to what Houston does in the second round or to what, you know, a Denver might do in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, these are like drastically different teams in the way they play and then their personnel. Right. And the Clippers are starting like three kids, like three brand new
2: kids, two of them just straight, straight from college. One of them has played maybe, you know, what, two seasons with the Lakers and Zubac.
0: So, He's basically a rookie.
2: Yeah, They really played the last. Pretty years. much. So, like, I'm I'm wondering actually if you know if they actually do end up starting both Shamit and Shea Gilgis Alexander. Like, would maybe they maybe they put in Garrett Temple for a little just a little bit more size on KD
0: to start? Yeah, that would make sense to me, and I could see them making a lot of, like as a series goes on. You got to probably start Montrez at some point. Yeah, just get your best player on the floor. Lou Williams. I mean, he could kill. He could have a big series too against the uh, Warriors. Bigs. Lou Williams. If we're being real though, it's Warriors and four anyway. I mean, the the biggest thing is gonna be like, the L. A. nightlife. Like, well, they want to just kind of hang out <laughs> for a week, right? That's probably their biggest chance to get in the game. Is if you know Golden State <laughs> doesn't want really to show up for one of those L. A. games. Hmm.
2: That's it, man. I I got I got Warriors in five. I I think Ooh. I think the, I think the Clippers. I think the Clippers are just scrappy enough to get one game.
0: How about you, Sharks? Yeah, I'll say Warriors and five. Golden State's going to start off slow. Get this thing ramped up pretty slowly. All right, let's let's move on to some conference
1: finals, NBA finals predictions. Um, either of you guys want to start uh, with your prediction? Well, let's actually let's do this one step at a time. What what's our final four for the conference finals? How about you, Danny? I'm thinking Warriors. Man,
0: I like I don't this want This bracket is so open, man. It's, it's hard so, to say. So
2: yeah. So like if I'm going straight from what I just predicted through this podcast, I guess the Blazers? Ooh. I I guess so. I don't I don't know. Like I'm not very confident in that.
1: <laughs> so Blazers to the Western Conference final. So that means you have them beating the Thunder, and then you would have them beating the Nuggets, correct? You had you select the Nuggets to win? Ah, uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs>
0: I love the certainty.
1: It's great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. How about in the East, Danny?
0: Uh, That would
2: be, let's see. Uh,
0: Yeah, I'll do, yeah, B- Bucks Raptors. How about you, John? I mean, i am got Bucks Raptors for sure in the East, and the yeah, West, man. Whew, I almost want to pull the trigger on the Rockets. I really want to do it. Oh. Do it, John. They can do it. They can do, do it. They can do it. Do it. Do <laughs> it. Uh, Do I, it, I can't. John. I mean, they got... Nah, ah. I almost say Warriors Thunder for content. <laughs>
2: Warriors Thunder. I can hear <laughs> KOC groaning off, can, or off, off mic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I have Warriors Nuggets um, in the Western Conference Finals and Bucks Raptors. Very basic picks here. I got the one and two seeds on each side. And then I'm going with Bucks Warriors in the NBA Finals and the Warriors winning that in six games for their third straight title. How about you, Danny? What's your NBA finals prediction?
2: I got to stay true to my brand. I got warriors, Raptors, warriors nice. in six.
1: Okay. John.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to say warriors, uh, warriors bucks, but really it's all about warriors rockets second round, man. That's the series. I'm pretty bummed with the conference finals. That's going to be everything, man. That's going to be awesome.
1: I'm excited to have that in the second round. Assuming we do get that. I, I think that'll be great to have a, a, battle of two titans in the second round would be cool a fresh chris paul yeah yeah Yeah, exactly i'm i'm totally digging that to be honest well guys that's all we have time for today thanks danny thanks john absolutely yeah it's good i'm excited the playoffs yeah yeah man i'm I'm pumped uh like like i mentioned at the top of the show we're gonna have a revised schedule next week and throughout the entire postseason john gonzalez will be back on monday with heat check it'll be me and chris vernon on tuesday with the mismatch and then it'll be us three back every wednesday during the nba playoffs um, and we'll be doing more draft talk as well moving forward um, and then thursday night's group chat will be recording it's the best time of the year, guys. I'm excited. Lead up to the draft of free agency. Um, looking forward to these couple next couple months with you. Yep, let's do it. And thank you for listening to The Ringer NBA Show. Please give us a five-star ratings on iTunes. Share your podcast with your friends. And uh, be sure to check out TheRinger.com, too. We have loads, and I mean loads, of playoff coverage up on the site from this entire week that you can check out. And next week, we'll be expanding The Ringer's 2019 NBA Draft Guide as well with some other goodies as well, including my scouting reports and some stuff maybe from Zach Cram as well. Looking forward to that. Anyway, happy NBA playoffs, everybody. Enjoy the weekend.
0: Yeah, let's do it.